Good morning all. Happy Easter. He is risen. Indeed. Great to see all that stuff we were doing last week about reciting, settling and you're all getting good at answering back. Well, you've always been good at answering back, so there we go. <laughs> Welcome this morning. It's really good to see uh, so many faces here today. Um, I don't know what, is it better on this side of the church, do you think, than that side? Is there a, an imbalance? Um, have we fallen out with those folks over there, or what, what, what's going on? It's interesting, isn't it, just where we sit. Have we already got our favourite seats? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Good. Easter, it's a great time, isn't it? What's going on? Yeah, great time of celebration, and it's great to be here. We're going to start with just a little video coming up. They're saying Sunday's coming, but actually Sunday's here, now today, and we celebrate an empty tomb. And the word that we're looking at today is hope, hope. The empty tomb is full of hope for those who believe. And it's interesting that there was so much disappointment on Easter Friday, on, on Good Friday, that the disciples were downcast, they were worried they didn't have any hope. But today we're going to find out, as we look at some scriptures again, just where the hope came from. It wasn't a hope that was just by chance. It was a planned hope. It was something that had been in the plan of, of God from eternity that we would have hope to look forward to. A farmer planted a field of sunflowers last September well, he planted them a bit earlier, but in September they came up. A local vicar asked a farmer if he'd plant a field of sunflowers. You may have seen it on the news last week. I think it was on Country File or something like that, for those of you who watch those old people's programmes. <laughs> and um, they planted 35,000 sunflowers. And, and, then, and I asked him why he planted the sunflowers, and he said, because sunflowers follow the sun and if you watch a field I usually have a, a couple of dozen sunflowers in my garden 
And if you watch on a sunny day, the heads turn and follow the sun. Now, I already knew that, and that's why I, I love sunflowers. That's why yellow is my favorite color. Yellow shirt today, brightness, cheery, hopefully, day to day. But he also said something. He said, when the sun stops shining, you watch the sunflowers, and they turn to look at each other, as if to say, what do we do now? Where do we go now? They turn to each other for help. And I thought that's a good picture of what the church should be, isn't it? We should be on days like this, we should be celebrating. But when life gets dull, and it does get dull for us some days, doesn't it? We should be able to turn to each other to get support and help. And you know, that's exactly what the disciples had done. After the crucifixion, they all met together because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were lost, they were forlorn, they were desperate, they were just in an awful state. And they didn't know what to do. Paul is going to read and tell us about something that happened. They were looking for something to happen, but actually what they were looking for had already happened, hadn't it? I remember um, a number of years ago, some of you may remember, um, after the harvest camp, uh, we were able to open a pub in fence houses called Harvesters. Uh, and Bishop David Jenkins came, who got a really bad press, if, if you remember at the time, uh, because he said something about the virgin birth. Um, he was there, and I was introduced to him. And, and he said to me, you know, he said, the whole trouble with Christians is they pray with their eyes closed and their heads down. He says, sometimes if they looked up, they would see that God's already answered their prayers. And that was what it was for the disciples. They were in a place where God had already answered their prayers, but they were down and they were desperate. And so follows going to read the story of what happened next. Just take a moment to imagine with me the astonishment of the women. Can you imagine that? That they, they went to the tomb fully prepared just to anoint Jesus' body with, with spices and, uh, and preparations for the afterlife, in a sense. And then, when they got there, the tomb wasn't empty. Now, you know, the pictures we see often are of the tomb with a big stone in front and uh, guarded by soldiers. There's no mention of that in this version of the Gospel. It just says, when they got there, the tomb was empty. So somehow the stones moved and the tomb's empty. And, and they were astonished. Wouldn't you be astonished? But did you notice a little subtlety there that they'd already been told by Jesus that on the third day he would rise again? Well, here it was. It was the third day. So should they not have been going in faith to find a risen Jesus? Should they not have said, well, you know, Jesus said that on the third day he'd rise from the dead. So we're going to the tomb but the tomb will be empty, won't it? Because he's already told us he's going to rise from the dead. But what will that look like? Will he just be standing at the tomb by its side? What, what, what would it look like? But they didn't. They, they'd, they'd almost forgotten. They had forgotten. Or they just couldn't conceive that Jesus would actually be risen from the dead. Even though he had told them 
that was what was going to happen. You know, often in retrospect, the truth becomes clear to us, doesn't it? Uh, I know at times I get told things by Susan, and at the time I think, no, she's not right. But then when she explains to me, retrospectively, she is right 99% of the time. Isn't that right? <laughs> but initially we don't believe. But in retrospect, the disciples must have gone and said, wow, Jesus said this. He said it. Why didn't we believe it at the time? Why didn't we believe what he said? But more than that, you see, the empty tomb is filled with hope. If you could have filled it with something, it would be filled with hope because that's our faith. The whole identity of us as Christians is the hope that Jesus rose from the dead. The hope that that was fulfilled. Paul says perfectly in Corinthians, and if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, were we then found to be we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are all a people most to be pitied. So basically what he's saying there is that if the tomb wasn't empty, that means Christ wouldn't have been raised from the dead. And our faith, what are we, what are we faith? What's our, what are we trusting in? Where's our hope if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead? We would be like idiots. We'd be just foolish people if we had no faith that he had been risen from the dead. Jesus gave a great commission. You've heard of it, haven't you? When he was on the cross, he turned to people and he said, go, sorry, before he was on the cross, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But have you heard of the great omission? It also happens in Matthew 28. Sean's going to read about it and tell us about the great omission. Thank you, Sean. So you see, the, the, the people at the time, the soldiers and the priests, had a bit of a problem. Because how could they explain that Jesus' body was no longer there? And so, as we heard there, they, they bribed the guards and they bribed the people around the soldiers to, uh, to say that somebody taken the body. Well, that's incredible, isn't it? Somebody taken the body. You've got the guards standing there, you've got a stone in front of it, and somebody's taken the body. Now, you'd think, thinking aloud, you'd think, wait a minute, these people didn't want this story to go around about Jesus. So why did, they spread, why did they spread the word that the body had gone? Because surely it would have been better for them if they'd found the body of Jesus and said, hey, look, Jesus is here. He's dead. He hasn't risen from the dead. That would have made more sense, wouldn't it? That would have nipped Christianity 
in the bud. It wouldn't have happened because our faith rests on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The Romans hated disorder and chaos. They had the power to root out lies. They had the power and the ability to nip the whole thing in the bud. All they had to do was find the body of Jesus. But of course, they couldn't find the body of Jesus because it wasn't there, was it? It wasn't anywhere to be there. The disciples hadn't hidden it away. It had gone because he'd risen from the dead. Some reason, these superpowers, these people in authority, just could not nip that in the bud. They couldn't solve the problem. In fact, by telling lies, they made it worse for themselves. And so the Christians, who later be called the way, uh, they began to grow because they could grow because they could spread that word about Jesus. The great commission of Christ was always more powerful than the omission because it was the truth. The truth is always more powerful than lies. The empty tomb gives us hope. The sunflower maze. The next slide, please, Sean. There. The maze spelled out hope. And anybody who entered it could follow the maze through and follow it through. That doesn't mean when we have hope, there aren't dead ends. Sometimes in our lives, we hit dead ends. Sometimes we go down the wrong road or the wrong path and we get lost a bit. But if we follow hope, hope always leads to the end. And the end is everlasting life, salvation through Jesus Christ. Life can feel a bit like a maze, can't it? Where we think, where are we going? Where do I turn next? Where do I go? But the answer is, the hope in Jesus tells us there is a future. There is an end to the maze of life. Last week, a really good friend of mine who I've known for many, many years died. Guy who, from, uh, who was involved heavily with us uh, during my time when I did ministry, ministerial study in the Independent Methodist Church. And then in Harvest, and Heather will remember Alan really, really well. He was a buoyant guy. He was one of these people who was always enthusiastic, always wanting to tell people about Jesus. When you spoke to him, you knew that he had a sound faith, he had a sound hope. Even when he was in hospital getting bad news from the doctors, he was inquiring from the surgeons whether they knew Jesus. And he told me one day, he was really pleased, that one of his surgeons, one of the consultants, was a Christian. And that really reassured him about his treatment. Sadly, he battled with cancer for probably two years nearly and died last week. But I remember him for his enthusiasm and his buoyant way of telling people about Jesus. And you know, my hope is one day we'll have a conversation in heaven and talk to each other again. What do we hope in? C.S. Lewis wrote this. Now it's a bit jargon because the language is a bit dated, but he said this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing 
that people often say about Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. There is one, this, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something else. You can shut up for a few you can shut up for a fool you can spit and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him lord and god but let us not come up, let us not come upon any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher he has not left that open to us he did not intend to so what he's saying there is that if we look at Jesus, we've got to make a decision because nobody, unless they were a lunatic, would make the statements that Jesus made. Nobody, unless they were a fool, would say and do what Jesus did. Only someone who was confident in what they were saying would be right. He alone would say he was going to be raised after three days. found this uh, caption on one of the daily readings and, and I think in many ways it sums up what our faith needs to be about. If a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. No man ever said that he would rise from the dead in history but Jesus. And the reality of Easter morning is what he said was going to happen came about. What he said, he said he would die and after three days he would rise from the dead. If we believe that, how can we not then believe everything else he says about the future for each one of our lives? Perhaps this morning you're here and you think, well, I don't know whether I believe it or not. Well, the reality is each one of us has to make that decision in our lives. Do we believe Jesus was a real person? Or do we believe he was a lunatic? Or do we have that belief that he was just a good teacher who said things that actually weren't true? It's up to each one of us to accept whether Jesus was true or not. But the Bible says when the disciples went to the tomb, he'd risen from the dead. He was alive and he appeared to people afterwards and spoke to them and talked to them. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you for the reality of the cross, the resurrection and the empty tomb. Fill us with hope today as we look to Christ and the reality of Easter morning. Pray the Lord will bless each one of us just to help us have an even clearer picture of who he was and what he's done for each one of us. The band like to come back and join us.